Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy. And as always, thank you for being a listener. And if you do us a favor, wherever you are listening to us, if you wouldn't mind stopping by, leaving a rating and a review, it definitely helps us out. And one of the big themes that Katie and I have really been talking about since, you know, our origin story of that fateful phone call in traffic where... <laughs> Katie mistakenly picked up the phone when I called. Yeah, I don't and, know what I was thinking. <laughs> and led to some of our discussions around what we talk about is just this continuum of personal to professional of being therapists. And through all of our conversations, our work here on the podcast, our Therapy Reimagined Conference, we really approach this from a whole person therapist perspective. And well, sometimes that ventures out into some of the personal things that go on outside of the therapy room. It also very much impacts the way that we work with clients and the way that we identify the work that we do and how it affects us even in our sessions. What's amazing is that through all of our research, we've actually found research that supports the ideas that Katie and I thought that we were coming up with on our own. We're not as smart as we thought we were. We aren't first. <laughs> We can be smart, but we just aren't first. Yeah, and I guess I, I'll, I'll take that. That's fine. So what we've come across and just being able to read through this is the work by Harry Aponte. He's a therapist. He's such a phenomenally brilliant person, not just because he shares our ideas, but for several decades <laughs> now has been writing about the person of the therapist training model. And as far as I can tell, there's only one university in the entire country that uses this as a philosophical principle of their training, which is Drexel University in Philadelphia. And no surprise by this, uh, Harry was a longtime faculty member there. So the way that we want to explore through this episode is some of these aspects that many of us later in our careers start to identify and start to bring up for ourselves. But having this as part of a training program and being a lot more deliberate about the use of self and how that fits into therapy from the very beginning of your training can put you really just kind of years ahead of personal growth as a therapist. So person of the therapist training, tell me a bit more about that. Cause it sounds amazing just in what you've described and how to be in the room and that kind of stuff as a person and the whole person therapy kick. But 
I feel like there's a lot that I am assuming in thinking that it's awesome. So I want more clarity. So Harry Ponty was one of the OG structural family therapists and his colleagues during his early training were people like Virginia Satir, Salvador Mnuchin, Marie Bowen. Oh, just, you know, kind of random people. Where he kind of took this this turn away is he looks at Satir as being more integrated as self. He looks at Bowen as kind of this on the outside of the system of family work. And the philosophy that Dr. Ponte came up with is that we have kind of this internal system that we really need to be able to pull from as well. Now, many of you just hearing that might think, oh, that's counter-transference. But it's the way that we go about in identifying this through this model that really allows for us in not just the traditional counter-transference presentation, but also being able to pull from our personal experiences and being able to help clients with things that we may never have come across in our life before. So for, you know, just kind of some quick examples here of it may be something where cross-cultural or cross-socioeconomic status of being able to pull from your own history or your own themes and feelings to be able to better identify with a client who's going through something that you may never have gone through before. So with that, we're looking at counter-transference is too, I think limited is probably the word you're talking about. Like that that concept is, and it's often seen as counter-transference bad. You know, I think there's people who use it effectively and, and there's a lot of positive things that can come from understanding your counter-transference. But this is actually going beyond counter-transference saying, what, is, what are my personal experiences? How do I access those in the room to be able to connect with the person in front of me to understand their experience, even if I've not experienced the same thing. Right. Okay. And, and so the way that this was implemented at Drexel, and this was fall of 2002, and they had six students go through this pilot program. And what this program was is it starts off with a class that is now limited to 10 students, but a class with two faculty members and the group of students. And the first semester of this class is really on working on identifying what the personal themes and challenges are for each of the students in the room or each of the therapists. And this is really making therapy personal from the very beginning. And for a lot of us, this is, you know, years of manualized treatments and everything else that's been kind of beaten out of a lot of the other graduate programs, but really making the therapist a part of the training system, a part of the model, the things that Katie and I have been talking about all along mm-hmm. from the beginning. And what this does is allows for the people in the room to start owning their stories, owning why they have certain reactions to certain clients, to certain systemic ideas based on their own personal histories and some of the struggles that come up with it. And this is then in subsequent courses kind of thematic as far as being able to work through those issues in role plays with actors who are coming in and playing families, doing live supervision with clients and then at the end of each of these classes, having a reflection period where it's not only the faculty members 
working with the students doing the presentations on their personal issues, but also providing the opportunity for the other classmates to make comments as well about the growth and the challenges that the therapist or the student is potentially facing there. To me, that sounds cool. So I will say that sounds really good. I think it's something that's needed. I think the part that was that really struck me is that it really starts from the beginning to work to destigmatize or to normalize the experiences that therapists can have as they become therapists because we're at least I was trained and it sounds like you were also trained this way as well that I need to be blank I need to be perfect if I have a reaction it's a problem and so I think there are times that it is disincentivized, de-incentivized, I don't know what the right word is, but it's not incentivized to actually identify, hey, I'm having a reaction or hey, these types of clients freak me out or this thing is going on. Because if, if I bring myself into the training, if I bring myself into the room, it somehow becomes taboo, bad, you're not a strong therapist. And so to actually start with, hey, this is going to happen you have history, you have your own stuff, you have your own personal characteristics, your own whatever perceptions, and that's going to have an impact on your treatment for good or for ill. And so let's actually identify it, talk about it, and work through the things that may be getting in your way in the room or with your colleagues or whatever. Like To me, it seems like that is revolutionary. What has been the pushback? Why are people not employing this everywhere? Well, as you can imagine, this isn't a really nice structured sort of program. This is deeply personal and very, mm-hmm. very hard to replicate. You know, if if we're talking about making training the same everywhere, this this really has to accept the idea that training is not going to be the same everywhere. It's going to be impacted by who your colleagues are, who your peers are, who's who else is in that classroom. And this is a, the type of course that borders so closely that line between education and therapy that mm-hmm. it's, it's not providing therapy to the students, but it's sure getting up into the business that people might need to address in their own therapy. And making it so incredibly personal is really hard when we start applying standards across all educational systems that you know the more requirements that are put down by licensing boards as far as course work that needs to be completed boxes that need to be checked to show learning objectives that benefit clients especially you know almost 20 years ago now where the standards you know, now have a couple of decades more research, but at the time there wasn't a ton of research even into, is this even going to work? Yeah. And therapy being, you know, such a quick moving fields, sarcastic <laughs> comments there, but to adopt this goes in the other direction from evidence-based treatments where everything is about the client. And this is a challenge that has been identified and, Along with Perry Aponte is Marlene Watson, who's the department chair at Drexel University. And in an article that we're going to include in the show notes, find those at mtsgpodcast.com. This is from the Journal of Family Psychotherapy in 2018. 
And Watson describes that really accepting that the idea that if every therapist is naturally a wounded healer, then one of the things of addressing in this type of program is that we can't believe the hype that all therapists are objective and are cured of their personal issues. And we have to accept that many clinicians are ashamed, embarrassed, and afraid of exposure of themselves. And so they develop these shields like pride and projection to avoid that vulnerability. And she identifies that the limitations of the COAMFT accreditation, the AAMFT core competencies have not really embraced the role of the therapist because of this drive towards evidence-based practices that are unwilling to really look at what the role of the therapist is other than, hey, have some good therapeutic alliance. Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. One of the things that keeps popping into my head as you're talking is DBT does some of this part of DBT and having, you know, the, the supervision and that kind of stuff is that the clinicians are doing DBT on each other. There's, there's a lot of discussion on that, that stuff. I don't know if it's exactly person of the therapist, but it seems very clear that there is a rich work that's happening. Another thought, and, and so it seems like people are, are coming to these things in different places. And I think that that makes sense that that there is going to be a push towards this in some way, but that it's not necessarily going to be in a school curriculum because it's hard to make manualized because of how this process works. The other thought I was having is that in some ways, this is where we're walking the line between supervision and therapy. And I know in a previous episode, we talked about kind of should therapists be in therapy and that kind of stuff. And, and I think in the past, the way that the wounded healer was addressed was requiring therapy for people studying to be clinicians. And so this is a different take because it opens up and identifies where therapy might be necessary. It, it starts some of the work that maybe needs to happen in therapy. And it also deepens, it sounds like, supervision to be very focused on the clinician. And so to me, is this something that could be framed more as supervision or that part of that requirement? Because I think a lot of folks have moved away from it and that kind of stuff. And I think this actually solves what I was talking about, which is if therapists aren't able to look at themselves, if they're not able to do their own work, should they 
be therapists, I think this is kind of addressing that same thing without moving it into a therapy space. But I think it has the same issue that I think you have talked about before, which is if people are required to go to therapy or do this thing, obviously, if this was part of a curriculum, it wouldn't be the cost issue, but it would necessarily be that personal work issue and forcing these things in. Is there a discussion around, is this too invasive or is this just what's necessary to become a clinician? So you're bringing up a couple of really good points. And one is around this idea of DBT, which as a manualized treatment manages to bring the personal into it as well. So big fan of DBT here. I think where this kind of separates from DBT a little bit is DBT is often pushed to post-graduation training. It's something where people kind sure. of have to self-select into. And so by making this as part of the curriculum, which gets to kind of your concern here, is does this make it too personal? And something that we've talked about on on the podcast here in, in a couple of our blogs is about this problem of the different aspects of the therapy world being so siloed of having research kind of off in the research corner and arguing and shouting about whose research is correct. And then you have the education people in another corner and then you have the fieldwork people out in another and the supervisors might even be removed in a different room. And, and so what this does is this tends to bring some of this stuff really back into the same room, back around the same table and kind of integrating it a lot more. Now, the concern about just how vulnerable this makes it to students, you're absolutely correct that this does require that everybody be respectful and everybody have the respect to keep what's going on in each of those individual classrooms to a level of confidentiality and being able to see how those relationships really play out in a graduate class or graduate cohorts over the course of a semester or a couple of years. And there is a couple of research articles, we'll put them in the show notes as well, that really talk about how from the students' perspectives, the trainees' perspectives, that this deepened their education and it made them really identify what their thematic issues are as therapists and Using using the language of, of the model, it's the signature themes of each of the individual clinicians that made them feel more effective with their clients earlier on. And there's some perspectives in here from some of the faculty members, especially around the transition time, that for the students who initially went through this training model versus the traditional training model, that they saw the therapist mature a lot more quickly. And so this does require that not only that the students are going through this, but that the faculty who are leading these classes also be very much entrenched into the person of the therapist training model. So that way they can provide that structure and support and to keep things from getting too out of hand, getting too awry into that level of concern. It's not just kind of this wild west of, okay, we're going to make everybody talk about their feelings all the time. Yeah. It's it's really done in a very thoughtful way. The thing that I like about what you're saying is that it's very contained and structured and it seems like students are opting in. It's an expectation. It's not something that just comes out of nowhere. And for me in my grad program, as you were talking about this, I realized some of this did happen. Some of it was part of the conversations in many of my classes. And I think the most painful one for me, and this is, you know, kind of 
my white privilege showing up was like in the cross-cultural class, there was times when it felt very personal. It felt very much like I needed to be able to, to really start doing the work, but it wasn't structured in this way. It wasn't discussed in this way. It was, it was something where it just felt unsafe. It didn't feel like there was actually a productive identification of signature themes or, or those types of things. It was just like, Hey, you're not perfect. You got to figure this stuff out or, or for me. And, and I realized I was a kind of an intellectualized younger person. Like you have to talk about feelings and that felt really overwhelming. And so to me, I think that there was this aspect of, you know, I went to therapy. I was able to do the work over there. There was a lot of good stuff that happened there, but this, the way that this is, is really being discussed is this thing that is, normalized from the very beginning of the program. And so it feels like that would be different, but it still feels like that would you would really have to have the opt-in for it to be at least somewhat contained, you know, and in a normalization of of the the difficulty of this work. So they talk about that the role of the faculty, especially in these classes, is led by three objectives. One is to help students conceptualize those themes. Number two is develop the ability to recognize and be in touch with how their themes relate to their therapy. And lastly, develop the skills to actively utilize their themes for doing better therapy. This is to really get students to be able to look at how their life struggles continue to impact their work, which when we look at our ethics codes, and we talked a little bit about this in our impairment episode of training people from the very beginning of their their lives, not to just be outwardly focused about what other therapists are doing, but to really have it be ingrained and an expectation of being in this field of monitoring yourself and how that's playing out through your work. And this is, you know, I'm, I'm such a, a fan of this, that this is, you know, really all of the things that we've been espousing for so long and while the research on this is pretty much all qualitative at this point, I, I would love to see how this does play out as far as impacting how clients feel that they're receiving. And I'm sure that you know somebody out there who's listening to this might have a research ear and could develop a plan around that. But to really improve that qualitative aspect, whether it's what you're calling opt-in or whether it's just the expectation, I kind of see it as there's that expectation that exists in the field anyway. It's just not introduced to a lot of us until post-graduation, or if we're lucky enough to have a good faculty member that really helps us to explore how we are in the in the room, how we are experiencing what we're learning, how we're doing this deliberate feedback in role plays and and being able to get a bunch of different perspectives really makes this whole thing rather supportive rather than trying to unlearn that we need to keep our shame and everything else kind of contained within ourselves and that we can't rely on each other to help support us and to help us grow without needing to squirrel away and go to our own individual therapy sessions away from everything else and then not talk about our growth in in the classroom. It seems like this is reflected in some of the ways I see therapists interacting in the world on in Facebook groups. There's the folks who will kindly, respectfully, but deliberately call out folks and and suggest different thought processes and different ways to perceive something or 
to suggest there might be their own stuff coming up. And then there's folks who will yell, that's unethical, or they'll do, you know, whatever it is, they'll do a form of shaming, uh, you know, which is, hey, that's super bad. And I think there's, there's, re- there's, of course, there's times when that needs to happen. But I think in general, there are are different ways that people have learned to give feedback to other therapists. And we, and yeah, we talked about this in the impairment episode, but I think there's, there's this fear and this competition and this expectation that all kind of comes together that therapists are and must be held to not just a higher standard, but the highest standard and therapists cannot be human and they cannot be held lightly. I I don't know what the right phrase is. Just kind of like you have this big responsibility and you're a human being and let's figure out how we can support you in achieving this. Instead, it's if you don't do this, you're going to hurt your clients, which I mean, I think both of those things are true, but I think this, this kind of nurturing way and kind of teaching this way of interacting as colleagues, in addition to as individuals learning to look at yourself and identify what's happening for you, I feel like that would be revolutionary in changing how we approach not just the therapy, but the profession and each other. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. I think part of what going through this training does, and my understanding is that even the the faculty isn't sharing students' personal histories or their signature themes outside of the classrooms or definitely not with like the field supervisors or anything like that. But I think in going through this kind of a training is that feedback from the other students and having kind of this structured way of being able to provide feedback to each other continuously throughout their program as a way of really, again, exercising that empathy muscle with the people that you're going through this training with at the same time of, of you're all working on signature themes together. And, you know, we've talked on a number of episodes before of just, you know, kind of that that's unethical or the, the haters and the trolls that exist out in the field that, you know, there's so much about our field. That's really where the criticisms that we get aren't necessarily from our clients. They're from our colleagues. But I think having this empathy really be developed in this way as as a foundational philosophy of working that respect into the program really, I, I would hope, helps to limit or even discourage entirely that, you know, kind of other focused, but really being able to pull from kind of the internal to develop a more resilient therapist, but be more respectful therapists to each other. Yeah, I I feel like it's an opportunity to come together and really support each other in the growth that's required to do this work. And I and as you were talking, I kind of was thinking to myself and and kind of laughing a bit. My cohort came together, but it was more out of fear or 
you know, kind of surviving this thing together. And my cohort did the exact opposite. We splintered and had tons of infighting. Oh, that happened too. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was this thing where it was, it was from this survival place of this is really hard. The program is too much. They're, they're asking too much of us. They're treating us this way. Like whatever it was, it was like this disgruntled, you know, kind of blob that then fractured into other blobs. And it was like the, the single people versus the mayor, you know, like it was just like, there was so many different people that were like, well, it's harder for us because we have kids and you know, it's harder for us because we don't have spouses to take care of us. Like it just all of a sudden it was like, it became this, this thing of, of there was, there was a splintering and the fracturing, but there was also the coming together in these smaller groups of like, I will survive because these are my bunker mates. Like it's, it's kind of like these, <laughs> we're, we're, we're battening down the hatches together. I know I'm mixing my metaphors, but it's like this, this thing of connection that is not based in this place of respect and growth. And so to me, I don't, <laughs> I can't even imagine how much this would transform who I am as a therapist. I think I've done that work since then. And I think you and I even, and I realized in our, the conversations we have with people and that kind of stuff that I have learned a lot about myself and, and grown as a therapist since we started the podcast. But I think it's this piece of like, if I would have had this from the beginning, I feel like there is a lot of my own work that would be much further along and it would have not impacted my early clients in the way that it did. A couple of things here. One of the things that I've heard from different educators, and this is both at the schools that I teach at, but also with educators from other programs as well, is one of the difficulties that is arising in a lot of graduate programs is just that tolerance for other people's opinions. And while we do seemingly have something that Katie and I encourage, which is people who are very vocal about their beliefs, you know, advocate for this, bring up your experience about this, that inevitably that's going to lead to disagreements. And it's the way of being able to handle that distress tolerance when people do disagree with you to that we're as educators seeing people just, you know, their only coping skill is to leave the room or it's not being able to handle some of, of this level of, of disagreement in a professional way that we're going to expect out of, out of our peers, out of our students, out of our colleagues. But I think that being able to just kind of philosophically put this as part of the program allows for not only those disagreements to come up and be encouraged, but to be done so a lot more thoughtfully and a lot more empathically. And if you're hanging on to the end of this episode so far and being like, well, you're just talking about this at graduate program levels, I really do see a benefit of this in wherever you're at in your career of being able to have your consultation groups, your consultations with your colleagues to adopt these same principles. So that way you are continuing to look at what your signature themes are and what that does with your clients. Because I think that at a certain point in our careers, a lot of us just kind of are like, okay, we're set in our ways and we think that we're doing pretty good. And we might be doing this feedback informed treatment that's getting good reviews from a lot of our clients. That still doesn't take you as the person out of this process. And the better that you're able to work on your signature themes and the better that you're able to 
help to conceptualize how this is impacting your clients, the qualitative aspect of the treatment that you're developing goes up too. When I'm hearing this, and I think that there are different ways to approach this, the functionality of this. I think consultation, consultation groups, those things are critical. I just think about for myself, I see myself doing this work in therapy and in bringing that back. Is there a, a substantive difference between doing this in a consultation group or, or in consultation versus doing it in your ther- personal therapy? What, what are your thoughts on that? What I would look at as being the difference is, yeah, this could be done in personal therapy where I would really love to see it play out is in in the group setting where I see the benefit is really getting a bunch of different perspectives. And because if we are all flawed, if we are all having our own lenses of how we see through things, Sometimes people have a different background from us, whether it's race, gender, sex, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, any of these kinds of things. Geographically, we're all going to have different perspectives. That having that structure and that feedback is really an opportunity for developing yourself with other colleagues, other professionals in a way that supports this growth in a lot more structured way. Where I see personal therapy might be able to do this. This is kind of where I'm envisioning personal therapy and supervision or consultation kind of merging together, mm-hmm. that the personal therapy might cloud the consultation aspect. You know, when you're in therapy, you might talk about your clients, but not in kind of the way that you are impacting your clients where a structured group of this kind of consultation would take it more from the, okay, you are impacting your clients. How is it that your themes are doing this? That kind of brings it more into that supervision first bordering into therapy model. I don't know if I agree with that, but I I think, because I think I do actually bring that into my therapist office about how is my stuff impacting my clients and how are my clients, you know, what's my, what are my clients bringing up in me? What are the things that typically come up? How do I do those things? So I think to a certain extent, that's part of my process and part of my own issues. And we'll leave that there. But the point that you made that I really like, and I think this is something that we probably have to finish on is this idea of, of having all the different perspectives and having the group. And I think some people are filling this void in the Facebook groups and I don't feel like it is sufficient. I think we can feel like we know the people, we can identify people, but there are people who I know in person who are very different in Facebook groups. And so actually getting a <laughs> actually getting a live in person and or on video where you're actually getting to know and have these personal relationships where you can actually see these things, I think is really helpful. And, and that, that's got, got me thinking because I think it is important to have that type of feedback. I have that in some areas of my life, but I think I need to, to add that on my, my therapy side. So that's good. Good advice. Thanks, dude. So this is stuff that we're really excited about and really going to keep peppering in through a lot of the stuff that we talk about, that we write about, and really encourage you to do. And I think we can share this now, but we're starting to talk about Therapy Reimagined 2020, which is going to be September 25th and 26th back here in Los Angeles. Woohoo! Save the dates because it was a blast this year and 
you don't want to miss out next year. So you can head on over to our website once we get that going up. (laughs) (laughs) There is stuff on our website so that you can find out more about it when it comes out. (laughs) So check that out. And until next time, I'm Kurt Widdow with Katie Renoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code modern gets you two free months.